Well, happy July the 4th, or happy ungrateful colonist day, whichever way, right? We are back in the Apocrypha, and here's where we have to start with a rather confusing thing. There's a book in the Apocrypha called Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H. However, if you put in quotations, Book of Baruch, you may not get this book pop up because this is just called Baruch. There is something called Book of Baruch, which has never been in the Apocrypha or in anybody's Bible. It's a mythical tale written by Justin centuries and centuries ago. So just be aware that's out there. Baruch is sometimes combined in the Apocrypha with a very short book, more of a chapter, called A Letter of Jeremy. See, Jeremiah and Jeremy, uh, those names kind of interplayed in the medieval mind, and therefore, as these titles are put in, some put it as the letter of Jeremy. Just real quick, Baruch was Jeremiah's secretary and companion throughout the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah in our Old Testament is a very strange book anyway. Uh, the mainly, the, the message is great, but the mainly the problem with Jeremiah is that it's out of order. And it is thought, or at least I've been told by several rabbis, that the manuscript got shuffled uh, whenever Baruch and Jeremiah had to run for their lives, and that that's the way they received it, so that's the way they keep it. But you can find many places online that'll tell you which chapters to read in which order so that the book of Jeremiah flows. That said, Baruch was his faithful man and who helped rewrite it whenever the book of Jeremiah was burned. Remember, he gave his prophecy to the king, the king burned it and then went after him. So they had to hide in a cave, they had to rewrite everything and Baruch was the one who did that. Back to Baruch, it's a very um, short book, uh, five chapters. Sometimes you'll see a sixth, that's the letter to Jeremy or the letter of Jeremy, the epistle of Jeremy. It's actually a really nice little book, Baruch is. <coughs> it's about fasting, prayer, repentance. Uh, it's haunting and beautiful. There's a prayer at chapter three in particular. Uh, uh, Baruch has this wonderful prayer for mercy. And I think it's a, it's a good book to read every so often, especially if you're hitting a change point in your life. Like, you're going into a new year, you're starting a new job, you are becoming an empty nester. Baruch is a good book, and chapter three in particular may give words to your prayer, uh, may, uh, may help you out there. There are many parallels in the New Testament with the book of Baruch. Uh, you, can, you can go find these online. Um, if I read a whole bunch of citations to you, that probably won't be that helpful. But let's just say that you find echoes of it in Jesus' teaching and the apostles' teaching, you find Baruch popping up. So it's a really nice five-chapter book. Uh, the Church of England uses it. The Roman Catholic Church uses it extensively, in particular on Holy Saturday and Easter. Um, uh, Augustine, sometimes called Augustine, really thought highly of this book and used that prayer of mercy, chapter 3, to uh, illuminate what the New Testament means whenever it says the Holy Spirit will give you words 
or will put words to your feelings in your prayer. There are many other interesting things about it, but it's a short book. You can look it up for yourself. What I do want to bring up <coughs> is that the extra chapter, the epistle of Jeremy, which you may never have heard of, was saved and appended by a man that you probably have never heard of, Theodotion. Theodotion was a, um, wow, what was he? You see, there's the problem. We know he was a Jew, we know he was a scholar, and we know that he lived his entire life translating scripture and saving scripture. And he died about 200 AD. So that's really, really early, long before the canon of scripture was nailed down. He is beloved by scholars, but anything you want to read about him is probably going to be in obscure papers and unpublished dissertations and the like. He, there's just not enough material to write a proper biography of him. Uh, you can find bits and pieces. It's T-H-E-O-D-O-I-O-N. Theo, then D-O, T-I-O-N. And so look him up if you're, if you're interested. What we do know is that he spent a great deal of time making sure scripture was faithfully translated uh, from the Greek, you know, Hebrew into the Greek. However it was, he wanted to make sure it was nailed down. There's a big argument over whether he even used the Septuagint or whether he had earlier documents than the Septuagint, which is a fascinating thought if you're into that sort of thing. He actually literally filled holes in our understanding because by this time, the manuscripts that were available had holes in them. And so he would sometimes guess at a word. Other times, if he came across a word that did not have an obvious meaning, he would transliterate it. I'll explain. The word baptize, for example, is transliterated. The word in Greek, baptizo, means to immerse, to dip, or to plunge. Well, by the time that uh, King James was having his translators translate the Bible into English, therefore the King James Version, the church over which he was head, because the king in Breton is also the head of the church, they did not immerse in any form. Uh, they did a sprinkling ceremony, and so he didn't want the word immerse in there. Well, instead of removing immerse, they transliterated it. They took the Greek letters and they put in the English equivalents so that um, baptize or baptizo becomes you know, baptize rather than immerse. So again, to protect his church, he made other changes. Uh, for example, by that time, the, the name deacon meant a particular office in the church that had certain responsibilities that weren't found in scripture. Therefore, he didn't want, uh, he didn't want it be, to be translated as servant alike. He, he had it put on there as deacon, diakonos. He messed with a lot of stuff. And the King James only people are, are as fervent as the flat earth people when it comes to arguing their point and not hearing anything that goes against it. But King James had some input that was not helpful. All right, that said, Theodosian, whenever he would come to a place where he could not really tell the word, he would transliterate it 
And that, that causes another, some historians say he was lazy. Most really say he was just exceptionally honest. So whoever he was, he was great. And that epistle of Jeremy is just, um, it's a letter, it, well, it presents itself as a letter from Jeremiah to the people as they leave for ca uh, captivity. It almost certainly wasn't written by Jeremiah. Um, Jerome refused to put it in the Vulgate because he couldn't find a Hebrew version of it. But it's found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Eastern, I'm sorry, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, one of the most ancient and isolated of the Christian churches, keeps it, hollows it. So, you know, it only takes about a half hour or so to read Baruch and the Epistle of Jeremy. So go for it. And then real quick here, uh, we have to talk about Daniel. There probably are no Old Testament books uh, that are immersed under the big weight of controversy more than Daniel. It is, um, it's difficult to find a mainstream scholar, mainstream linguist, mainstream historian who believes that Daniel wrote the book or even most of it. Sorry if, if, you, uh, if that upsets anybody, but just go try. When you do find one that says Daniel wrote it and he wrote it many, 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 many years before Jesus and all of the, check the bibliography, who told them that and then who told them that and you'll find it circles that they're quoting each other rather than going to sources and figuring out what, what is this book? It is a book really full of superhero stories and, the, and Daniel inspired a lot of extra books, a lot of extra stories that we don't have in our Bible, some which are in the Apocrypha, but there are a whole lot that kept being written over the centuries. It is um, a book that says that it was written in a long, long, long ago, but it uses words and terms and definitions that did not show up for hundreds of years. And so there's a lot of controversy about Daniel. But that said, there are three books in the Apocrypha that are really just additions to the book of Daniel. There's a prayer of Azariah, uh, sometimes called the Song of the Three Children. This is one of the, the ones who was thrown into the fiery um, furnace. And um, it's actually a pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting prayer that's added in. There's also Susanna, which is attached to the book of Daniel in both the Roman uh, Catholic Apocrypha and also the Orthodox uh, Bibles. They, they just put it into Daniel, as Daniel chapter 13. It's also in the Jewish Tanakh, so it is a very ancient tale. It's about, it's a morality tale. Uh, there is a Hebrew woman named Susanna who's falsely accused by two creeps who want to have sex with her. These two men who are called elders in the text. Jewish elders, men of religious power. Wow, it seems like they're reading off today's headlines. Spy on this woman when she's having her bath in her private garden. And then they grab her as she's going back into her house and they tell her that they'll accuse her of meeting a man for sex unless she has sex with them. Again, outrage is called for at this stage, yes. And, and in these days, women had no power. And if these two religious leaders are able to rape this woman, they will get away with it. 
because um, nobody will believe a woman over a religious leader. Uh, we are finding more and more and more churches where this is still occurring today. And that's horrific. It's a sin. It will be judged by God very harshly. Um, this woman will not give in. Uh, she refuses. So she's hauled to the judges. She's, and they the elders now accuse her. We found that she was going to meet a man for adultery. By the way, these kind of trials still take place in some countries that are ruled by uh, Islamic law, Sharia law. So this is not yesterday's news anywhere. You find it in Christianity, you find it in Islam, and of course you find it where there is no religion at all. So they, they holler before the judges, nobody's gonna pay attention to her. So she's sentenced to death for adultery when a young man steps up and stops the trial. You may have heard this man, uh, heard of the man. His name is Daniel. So he does something which police do all the time now. They may have learned it from here. He separates the two elders and he asks them all kinds of details about their story. And then he comes to the court and shows all the contradictions in the story. Every policeman knows when you got witnesses, split them up quickly. Get all the information you can and see if they're telling the same story. Well, they trip, you know, Daniel trips them up. The false accusers are put to death and Susanna's virtue and her reputation remain intact. It is, um, it's actually an ancient book. It was almost certainly written in Hebrew long before we had any Greek version of it. And it's a, it's a interesting story. And then the last, and I'll do this quickly because we're trying to keep Monday morning messages to 10 or 15 minutes. Bell and the Dragon it was one of the first apocryphal books I read because when I saw the title, I went, I'm in. You know, I think it was probably 12 or 13 and saw Bell and the Dragon, come on. Uh, in Roman Catholic Bibles and in Orthodox Bibles, it's not a separate book, it's Daniel chapter 14. But it's the true first detective story and a locked room mystery. Uh, Daniel is Bell. Bell is a nickname for Daniel's Babylonian name. Uh, he is ridiculing the worship of idols and the, the king mentions one idol that he is certain is a real God. And he's very, very fond of this God. And so he says, right, you know, you um, as evidence that this is a real God, we put food and wine in front of it. And every night we feed it and every morning it's gone, it's gone. You know, we, we lock the door and the God comes down and eats the food and drinks the wine. Well, Daniel again asserts the idol's nothing, nothing but clay and bronze. King gets mad. He says, all right, we're gonna do a, an experiment. So puts the food and wine before the idol. They seal the temple shut and they use the king's ring and the wax to keep the seal. Nobody will pass through the door. Well, if the food's gone, Daniel has to die. Daniel takes the bet, but he has a trick up his sleeve. After the priest have left the food and the wine and then backed out of the room, Daniel, in the presence of the king, scatters ashes around the idol. In the dark, the ashes cannot be seen. The next morning, the food is gone, but tracks in the ashes lead to a secret door the priest have been using to keep their trick alive and to keep them and their families exceptionally well-fed and in power. The priest and her families are killed. Eh, that's not 
quite as happy a story as we'd like, and the idol is destroyed. The dragon itself only appears in a few verses uh, from verse 23 through 30 of chapter 14 in a Roman Catholic Bible or an Orthodox Bible. Um, it, is, um, it is very similar to Marduk and Tiamat, if you know other ancient literature, that uh, stories that they worship this ancient dragon. And so Daniel decides he better kill the dragon and he feeds it food, which has uh, got junk in it, like tar and pitch and hair, and the dragon dies. Then there's another really quick story added. I told you, people love to write Daniel superhero stories. There are so many of those out there. Um, the, uh, see, which um, he's put back, Daniel's put back in the lion's den, but this time the prophet Habakkuk shows up and saves him. Didn't see that coming, did you? Well, it's kind of strange. Anyway, that's all we're going to do for this morning. Have a great 4th of July. Enjoy your family. Be safe on the road because not everybody's going to be wise on the road and wise with what they eat or drink. I hope to see you again next Monday. But please remember, we're here on Sundays as well. We don't take holidays and we are here on Wednesdays. And if you can contribute to keep us going, it means the world to us. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time.